today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. First of all, if you have come to the church and you don't really know where you are with the Lord, you don't know if you would describe yourself as a Christian, the reality, according to the Bible, is this, that you will live forever. Now, you might think, well, it's cool. But how you live forever is up to whether you are in Christ or not. And here's what the Bible says, that if you are apart from Christ, you will live once and die twice. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Right now, though it's hard to completely understand, each of us will live forever. Of course, not in our current state, but everyone will live eternally. The question is, where will you spend eternity? Today, we'll learn that the answer to this question lies in another. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Let's join Pastor Ricky for part one of his message entitled, Forever is Soon. And we have been in a mini-series, if you will, on living in light of eternity. Now, um, This is a topic that is especially relevant at the beginning of the year as we kind of gear up, as we plan our lives again, um, as we uh, join new gyms and start, try to start new routines and do new things. We are pausing to ask the question, what really matters in life? And so we've talked about the fact that knowing that the Bible tells us that we're going to live forever changes the way we live here. Because we realize that here is only a dot on a long line of eternity. And we're going to talk about some of the implications of that by talking about sleep. Sleep. I was listening to the radio recently and I heard a radio story. And I'm going to try my best to recreate the radio story, although it's not the same without the sound effects. But you will see why I'm sharing the story in just a minute. It's from the radio show, This American Life, which happens on Saturdays on NPR. So this is the script of the radio show. I'm going to do my best with this, okay? Script. Springfield, Oregon. Monday morning during finals week, 7.30 a.m. Morgan, a grad student, hears the alarm that's supposed to wake him up, but he shuts it off. This happens again at 7.35. And again at 7.40. And then there are sounds of Morgan Peach groaning and the cell phone alarm going off and him rolling over, presumably, and groaning more and cell phone alarm going off. Once more at 7.45, well, you get the idea, 8.15, 8.25, finally, 9 o'clock, his girlfriend Angela, who made this recording, steps in. Morgan mumbles, it's, it's time. Angela says, it's, it's time. Morgan mumbles again, it's time. <laughs> right, he doesn't get up. Besides an exam, he has two research papers to turn in and 55 exams and papers to grade. All the teachers are freaking out. Angela sees him struggle every day with waking up. But she thought this week, for once, he would do it when the alarm sounds because he has so much to do. Tuesday, it goes off. First at 7.30. Then... Seven more times, 740, 745, 8 o'clock, 805, 810, 815, 820. Then Wednesday, pretty much the same deal. 
at some point, Angela says to her sleeping boyfriend, Angela, did you set the alarm for nine o'clock? Morgan says, yes, I did. Angela says, can you afford to sleep in that late? Morgan says, half asleep, okay? Morgan says, I certainly can. I'm wealthy in time, not in money. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know, but he's half asleep, and so that's what he said. That's his argument, half asleep, I'm wealthy in time. Um, story continues. People can be surprisingly articulate when they're barely awake sometimes. Wednesday night, Morgan tells Angela that the next morning, Thursday, he is actually going to have to get up. He's actually going to have to do this. A geography paper is due at noon. So Morgan says, could you set the alarm for 7.30 tomorrow? I'd like to get up at 7.30 and work on my research papers and finish them. So the next morning, Angela says, this is a recording of Angela, now it's 8 o'clock. The alarm went off. He reset it for 8.30. I really thought he was going to do it this morning. So sometime near 10 a.m. Remember, his research papers do at noon, okay? 10 a.m., they finally have this conversation. Angela, it's time to get up. Morgan, that's what you always say. (laughs) And then, still lying in bed, he explains the whole thing perfectly. It would be impossible to say this better. Morgan mumbles, it's almost as if the sleeping is that much sweeter when you have to get up or you think you have to get up and then you don't. <laughs> All right, so this is, the reason I'm sharing this is that it is both relatable and painful. Okay, it is painful because you get how much work this guy has to do. You get that his research paper is due at noon, and you're thinking, come on, man, get up, get up, like, come on. And yet, at the same time, it is so relatable, Right? Who among us has never hit the snooze button and thought, five more minutes, 10 more minutes, max, max 15 more minutes. I promise 20 minutes is my limit. Who's not done that? Who's not had that experience? And you thought, oh, and then you wake up, oh, that was an hour. Whoops, you know. Now, I'm bringing this up because our passage both deals with sleep and is similarly relatable and painful, okay? I'm going to warn you, it is relatable because Paul is going to speak directly to a reality that we all struggle with. There's nobody in this room that is not going to be in the category that Paul is addressing here. And yet, it will be a little painful because I think we're going to see some areas to grow. But I want to add a third thing that I think this will be. I think it will be hopeful, As we explore God's word, as we see these realities, I think we'll leave with hope today. So let's read our passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. And this is God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not 
sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Well, the way we're going to attack our passage today is, is by first looking at one big truth in the passage and then looking at two kind of implications or calls in the passage. So the one big truth is simple. It's this. Forever is coming and soon. That Jesus Christ is returning And when he does, we will be with him to eternal life forever if we are in him. And this will happen sooner than we think. Now, most people today see Jesus as just a good teacher, a good person that pointed to a better way and all that stuff. That you could take away all of his controversial things about uh, the afterlife or hell or whatever. And just have sort of a good example of him saying, love your neighbor and things like that. The problem, though, is that Jesus is not who he is without eternity, without speaking about eternity. In the Gospels, Jesus speaks about eternal things or eternal life all the time. Jesus brings up or mentions just the the word kind of group eternal 33 times in the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, he mentions eternity 18 times in that Gospel alone. And he brings it up for all kinds of reasons. He brings it up in the context of sin, in the context of possessions, in the context of relationships. So it's, it's, an, it's casting a big shadow over everything that he teaches. Reflecting on this, the Apostle John writes a famous verse that you may have missed something in. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that, what? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, we as Christians sometimes are good at talking about, well, he, he came so that we wouldn't perish, and thank God. And that's good. Praise God that he came that we would not perish. But he came that we might have eternal life, that we would not perish, and that we would have eternal life. Not just some life tips, not just some better existence stuff. And so the New Testament then is also filled with eternity. In fact, 1 Thessalonians is probably written by Paul specifically to address this topic with that church. So they were asking Paul lots of questions, and he chose to respond with this letter. And the early church took Jesus seriously when he said he was going to come back. In fact, they took him so seriously that they were especially concerned that, okay, my my brother-in-law or my sister or my mom, she passed away. Is she going to miss it when Jesus comes back? See, they felt it so imminently that they thought, okay, well, I know he's coming any day now, but, oh man, my my loved one passed away. What's going to happen? And so Paul is answering these kinds of questions, questions that are flowing from them really, really believing that Jesus is coming back. Paul says in four, chapter 4, verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so he's saying, because Jesus died and rose again, anybody in Christ who dies will rise again. Now, it's often 
uh, true that we as Christians rejoice in the fact that we're not going to hell, right? We should sing songs about that. And that's an awesome thing to sing songs about and to rejoice in. But the gospel is not just a message about death. It's not just that somebody died so you don't have to die. There's another component to the gospel where somebody died and rose again. That way you could die and rise again so that you would have life. The good news of the gospel is that, that one path is shut for the Christian. That, that the path to hell, that we were slipping down inescapably, that's been closed because Jesus died in our place. And another path has opened. Okay, so it's only half the gospel to say, hey, we're not going to hell. Praise God. The other half of the gospel is we're not going to go to hell. We're going to live with him in eternity, praise God, right? And this matters immensely in our daily lives. Now, I want to admit that, that saying, okay, Jesus is coming back, loses some force because inevitably every year to two years to five years, some dude gets on the TV announcing that by uh, looking at every third letter in the Hebrew and putting them into a pile and then unjumbling them, he knows exactly where Jesus is going to come back. And when, right? He's coming back in 1988. He's coming back in 1991. He's coming back in 2000. All right, if there's ever like a golden opportunity to come back to just make it clean, like 2000 right there, right? 2012, the Mayan calendar thing. Okay, maybe, maybe he's coming back then. Everybody freaks out every few years over this. And so for us to go, Jesus is coming soon, some of that is kind of like, well, well, okay, we've heard that before. But what this passage is pushing us to recognize is that, this, that these words are true. Jesus is coming soon. And we do not know when Christ will return. We cannot, church, assume that we've got 80 years of a good life here. It could be 10. It could be later today that he will return. It could be tomorrow. What is sure, according to this passage, is that when Jesus returns, it will be unexpected and unprepared for. So it means when you think Jesus is coming here, he's probably not coming then. And when you think he's never going to come this day, yep, he might come then. That's what the passage is saying. Forever is coming soon. Our eternal life is coming soon. Jesus will return and split the sky soon. So this has some implications for us. First of all, if you have come to the church and you don't really know where you are with the Lord, you don't know if you would describe yourself as a Christian, the reality, according to the Bible, is this, that you will live forever. Now, you might think, well, it's cool. But how you live forever is up to whether you are in Christ or not. And here's what the Bible says. That if you are apart from Christ, you will live once and die twice. Meaning you'll live this life and then you'll die a physical death. But if you have not been reconciled to God, the Father, the, the creator of heaven and earth, the, the just one that counts your sins, if you have not been reconciled and justified before him, you will die once only to face a judgment, to be condemned to a second death. That's what the scripture says. But if you are in Christ... You will die once but live twice. You'll live this life, die a physical death, but then be raised to a new life with Christ. Now, 
Maybe that's hard for you to get. Maybe that you're thinking, okay, I don't know if I can buy into this. But I want to say this. There is something in your heart that goes, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. Is this world it? Because I've tried this and I've tried that and it just feels like there's a part of me that this world cannot get to. It can't satisfy. That I, I feel like there's a life beyond this. And that's why there's so much fascination with the afterlife. With, with okay, what happens? What's going on in the spirit world? All of that stuff is our silly, futile human way of trying to get at what's, what's beyond this. When the scripture tells us what's beyond this. So here's the question. If that is true, are you prepared? If that is true, shouldn't exploring whether it's true actually be the most important thing in your life? Knowing that he could return at any moment, that you could die later this afternoon, and there may or may not be an eternity thing happening that may or may not be dependent on whether you know Christ or not. Even if you're like, okay, I don't know about this, study it. Because if this is true, this changes everything. This becomes priority number one for you. And so I would encourage you, don't rest. Don't put this off. Don't, don't think, well, I'll think about that later. Or maybe when I get toward the end of my life. No, now. Consider it now. Look at Jesus now. Study the scriptures now. We would love to wrestle with you through this if you have questions. But don't simply go, oh, that's nice, and shrug and go on to another day. If millions and millions and billions of Christians over 2,000 years are any indication that this thing even might be true, You owe it to yourself and to your eternity to investigate it, to seek Jesus, to knock, and to see what's there. Now, in light of us for in light of us being Christians, though, and having that eternal destiny secured, Paul says two things. He says, first, don't sleep. Second, wake up. This message is free. So you didn't pay for it, so you're not disappointed that those are my two points. Don't sleep. Wake up. You get what you pay for. Don't sleep. Wake up. Point number one, don't sleep. There's a passage in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress that I want to read because I think it's interesting here. He writes this. It's a parable of the Christian life. And he writes this. I saw then in my dream that they went till they came into a certain country whose air naturally tended to make one drowsy if he came a stranger into it. And here... The man called Hopeful began to be very dull and heavy of sleep. And then he said to the man called Christian, I do now begin to grow so drowsy that I can scarcely hold up my eyes. Let us lie down here and take one nap. But the Christian said, by no means, lest sleeping we never awake anymore. But Hopeful said, my brother, sleep is so sweet to the laboring man. We may be refreshed if we take a nap. Christian said this, Do you not remember that one of the shepherds bade us beware of the enchanted ground? He meant by that that we should beware of sleeping. Wherefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And Hopeful says, I acknowledged myself in fault. Had I been here alone, I would have by sleeping run the danger of death. Now, here's the language of the text, that this world is making you drowsy. This world has a dulling, sleepy effect on us. And in the darkness, this is, uh, this is even worse. It's dark. We're already feeling sleepy. Everything pulls us towards sleep. And yet, in the middle of this, Paul says, no, wake up. 
Now, obviously, sleep itself isn't a bad thing. It's not bad to let go to sleep later tonight. But Paul is using this as an illustration. The ESV Study Bible defines sleep in the best way that I found this week. It says, in this context, to sleep is to be morally and spiritually disengaged. Okay, to be morally or spiritually disengaged and or living without a consciousness of the coming day. So there are three aspects of sleep that I want to highlight today that we're called away from. And the, the first aspect is having sleepy minds to eternal realities. If you are apart from Christ, uh, Romans 1 says that you know that there is a God, that eternity is real, but that you suppress this. You don't want to believe it. You want to go another way. You allow yourself to be asleep to this reality and just kind of keep living. But even as Christians, we deal with sleepiness. We have our sin that pulls us in the direction of sleep. And there are big, huge, eternal realities that we go, okay. Things that should make us go, oh my gosh, this changes everything. We get dull to. Think, here's a few examples. Salvation. How seriously do you take your salvation? How seriously do you take it when Scripture says that if you call yourself a Christian and then live like the opposite of a Christian, you may not be a Christian. And if that's true, your eternity is in jeopardy. It should make us go, man, wow, how's my life? What's going on? Well, think about the last few weeks of our, of our preaching series. We talked about how quickly things will fade, how quickly the stuff of this world will fade, and how few things really matter in eternity, and, and how many decisions of, our, of a financial nature, of a life-changing nature, of what to major in, where to go, who to, where to live, who to marry, all that stuff, how much of that would change if we got, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. How many things that seem so huge to us, I've got to have that car. Right? You grow up, age 12, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this car as soon as, I get, as soon as I get money. 13, 14, 15, 16, you're, you're saving for it, saving for it. And you realize as soon as you drive that thing off the lot, man, it's like half its value is gone. Right? And scripture says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Think about even the reality of, of, of eternal judgment. How seriously do we take it? That, that the people we see in our workplaces, the people we see in our families, the people we see on our city streets, if they do not have Christ, they will perish. They will perish. Do we feel this reality? That's what Paul is asking us. We not only have sleepy minds to eternal realities, we have sleepy hearts that drift to love sin. We set our affections and our desires on things that are of the darkness, not of the light. We, we start to, okay, we think, okay, well, we're stuck in the darkness for a while. And we start to think, well, I know I'm holding out hope for that eternal reality. But this starts to look good in the meantime. This other thing starts to look good in the meantime. One example. In chapter 4, Paul exhorts them. In chapter 4, verse 3, look at this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. What would change in your life if you really acted like you would live forever? So much of our lives are taken up with temporal cares, with pursuing temporal things, But the Bible calls us to look to eternity. Everything we do in our lives will echo into eternity. 
As Christians, we're called to not just live now, but to live in light of forever. You've been listening to Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantad of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. The theme music here on Better News Radio was provided by Sovereign Grace Music. Please check them out, sovereigngracemusic.org. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series entitled Live Forever. That's next time on Better News Radio.